Okay. All right. So this, welcome to this, um, we call this a podcast maybe, I don't know. We are going to have a conversation and we're going to allow people to partake in this conversation. All right. Okay. Well, partake by watching, not by like... By watching. Chatting with us. Right. Okay. Um, So we're going to start off, you're going to say something interesting, I'm going to say something interesting. Okay. Well, I have to say something interesting first. Would you like to? No, I would like you to say something interesting first. That's your job. That's what you get paid for. I get paid to be silly. I can say something silly. Okay. Say something silly. Knock, knock. Who's there? Can't think of anything. You want to hear my favorite knock-knock joke? Yes. This is uh, when I daven Maidav in a shul, and I daven for the almond. I get up and I say, knock-knock. Who's there? Ve. Ve who? Ve who rach, mi chaperog, the liastres. Uh-huh. So this week is Pesach Sheni. Yeah. And I was thinking about a vort. I actually heard this vort from uh, Pinya Korf at a Fabrengen. I even if I, I should, if I looked up his name, I would say so he needs a refuah shleima right now. Um, anyways, but it's the the, the vort is because I looked it up since then, since I heard it at the Fabrengen. It's from the Friedrich Rebbe. It's a sicha sefer sichas tovshin aleph. And uh, the Friedrich Rebbe says that there are three things that are called Shani. The Nefesh HaShenis, the Cheder Shani, and Pesach Shani. So what are those three things? Nefesh HaShenis means the second soul. In Pedic Base, chapter 2 of Tanya, it talks about the second soul. The first chapter talks about the first soul. The first soul is the animal soul, or what he calls over there the natural soul. So Nefesh HaShenis is Neshama. So what we often call the neshama or the nefesh alakis, the godly soul, that's the second soul, right? And there's all types of uh, explanations why we call the godly soul the second soul and the, the animal soul the first soul. Um, maybe just to give a basic background to that. When, when you're born, you're born with the, the, the survival impulse, that uh, you know the primal instinct, which is basically the animal soul, self-preservation. So, for instance, if I wake up at three in the morning and I'm hungry, so not only do I not scream and wake up everyone in the whole house, I actually will try to be as quiet as possible so that I don't wake up people going to eat three in the morning. But a baby doesn't care. Babies are all about self-preservation. They don't care about anyone else. They have no guilt. They don't get ashamed. They don't feel socially awkward. So that's the first impulse. Then later on, you get the second soul, <clears throat> which is an altruistic impulse, which we call the godly soul. And apparently until you're 12 as a girl or 13 as a boy, you don't have enough of the presence of that altruistic impulse to even be accountable, according to uh, Torah law. So that's the second soul. The godly soul. Okay. So, so far, so good. Okay. Second room, the Cheder Sheni, also called the Chabadnitza. 
also saw in a sicha, the Friedrich Rebbe said that the Rebbeim of Chabad would not even daven in a shul that did not have one. A cheder sheni is maybe, a sec- I, yeah. Maybe they were just davening in the cheder sheni of that shul, that, but it didn't exist, so it was outside. That, yeah, well, if they davened outside of a shul. You know, there was a shul in Paris where the Rebbe davened, I think, in the hallway. What, do you know what the circumstances were? I believe that the setup of the Aran, I believe, I'd have to look into it, but uh, when the Rebbe went back to Paris to get his mother, Rebbe Tzadchana, there was a shul, I believe, that Rebbe davened in the hallway. I, I believe it had something to do with the placement of the Aran. Meisha Feinstein write, writes about not putting an Aran at the front of a shul because it's like a reform thing, which is modeled on uh, churches. You have to okay. put it in the middle. Anyways. Well, you're not supposed to put it where? Front. You're not supposed to put, not the Aaron, the Bima. Sorry. Bima, right. <clears throat> you're not supposed to put the Bima in the front. You know, the Aaron obviously goes in the front. Um, Do you know, I, I looked up one time, there's a halacha that, that a shul has to have a some sort of like uh, foyer. You can't have the door go straight into the shul. Right, right. That that's that's halacha, right? That's a halacha. Yeah. yeah. This tangent is just we just off on a tangent, but just because we were talking Isn't, about the construction of shuls and and there, their similarities to churches, which is going to come up in a second. But it's a milsebatayma. There's a reason for why it has to have a foyer. There, yes, there are reasons. I forget the ones that were not interesting to me. So that's I looked it up. Was interesting. I, so I looked it up for a video that I never made. There's a, a series of itchy videos I did about about the you shuls. You did itchy Yes, hi, I'm David Taub. I'm the puppet guy. You were, you know I did it. You could do it. You wrote some of them. How could you forget that? They canceled you or you canceled them? <laughs> yeah, I was the number one Hasidic puppet show in the world. I didn't okay, I'm just canceled. asking. I didn't I know. I didn't get canceled. Okay. Um, <laughs> By the so, way, who knows what that's a reference to? Write in and you will get a free video of Itchy Caduzzi saying... Happy birthday to your child. All right, thanks a lot. All right. Um, so what was it? Yeah, so I was making an Ichigadizu series called The Shoal, and I only made a few of them, and then each one was about like different aspects of the show. And uh, one of them was going to be, which I never made it, was going to be about well, this halacha. So I was trying to find interesting takes on it. And one interesting pirush that I found was from the Bach, where he said that... I'm impressed reason, you remember the mucker. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in the very, very, very early days of, of Ichigadizzi, I don't know if you remember, I used to put uh, source remember that. at the bottom of the video. I do the remember that. Right. I stopped doing that. And I'm, I wish I had at least done it in the scripts, because every script I wrote has a mucker. Like every, every Yeah, whatever the, the, the little speech at the end is I have a mucker for it and but like a lot of them I don't remember where I wish I had yeah. written that down for myself right. um, a mucker but, for those who don't uh, know the Hebrew is source a mucker or a makor is a source so I uh, yeah so the Bach said uh, that the, the Bach reason, would be the, the you do know what it stands for because I don't the bias chadosh alright and yeah. uh, Points for you. 
because no, it's easy to remember because <laughs> it's easy. Anyone knows. Anyone could do it. Anyone Thanks. could do it. Um, you volunteered me to make puppet shows for people, and you called me ignorant. The uh, the tour has the commentary of the base Yosef, who's also the Mechaber. When the Mechaber wrote his own oh. Yosef Karo, who was the Talmud of the Arizal, he wrote his own Shulchan Aruch, he's called the Mechaber. Uh, but when he wrote a commentary on the tour, it's called the Beis Yosef. So there's the Beis Yosef and there's the Bayes Chodesh, the new house. Okay. All right. Then now that is what you need to remember now. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so. Not to be confused Lahavdil with. An actual the, new house. The composer, Bach. Oh. Yeah, they're different people. Like Godel, Escher, and Bach. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what Bach's interpretation of this halakha is, but according to the Bayez Chadash, the interpretation is that, uh, all right, so that the, uh, the reason why a shul has to have some sort of, there has to be two sets of doors, about, you know, the, the, by minimum, some sort of room before you go into the shul. The doors can't oh, open you're straight. you're entering from the street. You can't enter from the street straight into the shul. There has to be the, an anteroom. has to be some sort of antechamber. Right. I said chamber. It sounds fancier. Um, and the reason for it is because apparently that's how certain like cathedrals are or something like that. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in, in like church architecture, so right. I can't comment on it, but that's what it says there. Right. Um, well, I know one thing about church architecture, that some of them, yeah, some of them have paintings on the ceilings. There's one yeah, famous one. I've heard chapel. Of. It's only a chapel. I thought maybe it was like the, in the like in the lobby in a hospital. Or something. It's at an airport. But at an airport, there's yeah. a chapel in the Sistine Airport. There's a in the Sistine Airport, and there's a guy, a teenage mutant ninja turtle, who drew pictures yeah. on the ceiling. Based on based on all the knowledge that I have, that sounds absolutely correct. Um, That's so, the extent of my knowledge of yes. cathedral decor. All right, so. It doesn't end there, though. It doesn't say that it's just because of the similarity. It says, well, so but why, does, why is that architecture that way? Why is a shul different? Right. And it's, so it's not just because, oh, we don't want to be like them. A shul serves a different you ever function. Read and it has to be built differently. You ever read I, The Guide to the Perplexed? Have I ever read Meir Nevochim? No, I've yeah. ne I never have because it doesn't exist. I've read Meir Nevochim. That's what I said, Meir Nevochim. Oh, did you? I thought I could be smart and correct you. Um, but yes, with the hey how you do it. So Over yeah, there's there. one particular guy who was very confused. But but it's Nevochim, it's plural. So there two were guys. a group of two were two guys who were very confused. Yeah. Um but over there it says a lot of the reasons for mitzvahs are to not be like the idol worshippers. Right. So it, yeah, there's a lot of places where where that is enough, but this one interestingly went a step further and said that the function of a, of the, that type of church is different than the function of a shul. I mean, obviously a hot deal, but what other what is that different difference? The difference is he says again, this is all coming from there. I'm not an expert in Christian theology. But this um, is what the Bach says about yes. churches. Yes. Okay. Uh, that. Um, the function of a of the the clergy person in a church 
is to be the intermediary to take your prayers and, and, and get them, send them to God for you. Mm-hmm. But in a shul, there's no such role. There's no such person. So um, your prayer, you're, you're sending your prayers. It's this is between you and God. There's nobody, nobody who is closer to God than you, right? Who is in charge of being the bridge between you and no God. hierarchy. We're all close to God. Yes. Um, and therefore, the in a church, in a in a church or a cathedral, the actual like prayer room, that whole big hall, is like an antechamber. That it, before the prayers go up to God's throne, right. or whatever. Right. But in a shul, the sh- your prayer, your dominating is right there. Hashem is the is resting in there and all that stuff. So you have to have a separate waiting room. Wow. You know, that reminds me of a joke. Okay. One of the, probably, I, I, I estimate there's probably about 200 rabbi jokes, you know, corny jokes that rabbis tell. Um, I think there's about 200 of them. Have you told them all? More. I've told, well, no, not all of them, but I, I tell a lot of them. Some of them I can't bring myself to tell. Uh, but one one of them's the famous joke. I don't remember. I, I don't actually. I don't tell this joke, so I'm not sure if I'll tell it well with the right setup. I mean, the punchline is from here. It's a local call. Right. You know that okay. one. Right. Do we even have to tell it? I mean, I guess maybe it'll get a better laugh, or you can tell it. If you, want. you know what? I don't even think it's funny anymore because <laughs> there's no such thing as local calls. Because <laughs> once upon a time, there were long distance calls. Mm. And you would call somebody, in, you know, in California, and be like, "Okay, you know, we gotta, gotta talk, we gotta wrap it up." Okay. When you tell the joke, you have to explain that first. You have to explain first. There used to be long distance calls, and then okay, but then the the president, I think it's like President Johnson. That's uh-huh. how that's how current this joke is. So LBJ goes to uh, the Vatican, and the Pope says, "Would you like? We have a phone here. Would you like to call God?" And then he's like, yeah, sure. And then he calls and it's like, okay, but let's hang up. It's getting expensive. It's a long distance, right? And then I think that's how they tell. Then he goes to Israel and he goes to Ben-Gurion, whoever was the prime minister at that time. And he's like, uh, you want me to wrap it up? He's like, no, don't worry. From here, it's a local call or something. <laughs> local call. <laughs> By the way, you remind me right now, for those who are real diehard Echikaduzi fans, of the episode, which I think I did co-write with you, where, yes. where I think Jono have to go to the comedy club. I don't know why that they were there, but yes, Jono had to go to the comedy club for some reason. Was that what it was? Yeah, and he asked Itcha to help him. Or yeah. did Itcha have to go to the comedy club and he schlepped Jono? I guess, I don't know. And then so they did a, a, the 3,000-year-old man. Right, and G Fish is sitting in the audience, <laughs> sitting in the audience, yeah, cracking up, <laughs> and all these uh, like like uh, outdated jokes. He's loving it. Right, you're just saying the last word of the punchline, and then like, yeah. By the way, I wonder. And the traffic was mitre, mitre. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, by the way, if that human impulse is somehow connected to the impulse to say the last word of each aliyah with the balkaira i don't know just okay fine 
right. that maybe for a future episode we could analyze that. So that's the Bach. He says that you have to have an antechamber before the shul because when you get into the shul, that's the real thing. You're actually connecting to Hashem. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So in, in order to establish that, to make that clear, you have to have another room beforehand. Lest you think the, the shul itself is only an antechamber, yeah. like Lahav the, the the church. Okay. That's amazing. That's really, really cool. So we were talking about the Cheder Sheni, that within a shul, there's a side room. Cheder Sheni literally means the second room. And um, it was traditionally a place where people would go to Davin with the, the benefit of being uh, close enough to the minion so that they could hear, they could answer Amen and all the other things that you can answer when you have a minion and to hear the, the Torah reading if it was a Torah reading day. But they would be off on their own and they could pray at their own pace. That was the idea, the Cheder Sheni. Um, anyways, I, I had a thought today, by the way, about the Cheder Sheni, which I don't have a resolution for, but the, the thought was, is the Cheder Sheni to prevent those who dive at their own pace from disturbing the minion, or to prevent the minion from disturbing those who pray at their own pace? Well, I mean, I, I have, I'm biased. I'm biased as well because I have the same whatever you want to call it. I would say it's to prevent the minion from bothering you. Yeah. It's very yeah, I'm biased, But there are a lot of people who, who, who are not, that's not the acre in a shul. A lot of people will, will ask me, like, have asked me, why do you even come to shul? Why do you even come to shul? You don't dive in with a man. I never saw you dive in with a minion. I've never seen you dive in with a minion. But why do you come here? That's right. I'm sitting there with a, a safer during the entire dominating. What do you even want to, use to sit and learn at home? Right. So I actually had this thought because of quarantine and social distancing, that there are two kinds of people. There's the introverts and the extroverts. And there are people who are very pained. And I have compassion for them. There are people who are pained by, just by the fact that they don't, have interactions with like a hundred people a day. Some people thrive mm -hmm. on that. That energizes them. Yeah. Just to get out and you see people, you see human beings and you, okay. <clears throat> now I understand human beings are, are social creatures. So if you were in, let's say solitary confinement, God forbid, that would cause anybody to be, you know, distressed. That would cause psychological damage. But, you know, as long as you have a couple of people around, there's a little bit of noise, a refrigerator humming, you know, some type of noise, you know, birds tweeting outside. That's enough. That's enough. I mean, it's more than enough. Some people, they really need the social interaction. They're like they're all types of stimuli. So I was thinking, I was actually thinking about this, that maybe this is a theory, just a theory, that it's not even a pet theory. I have some pet theories. So it's just a, a thought that you had. You're not particularly I only had it, to it this Shabbos, and I, I might move on from you it. You haven't grown to love it yet. I have not grown to be attached to it whatsoever. But that it's possible that those ha who have a proclivity for davening at length may also have a low threshold for dealing with all types of social stimuli. Mm. Meaning the very same people who would like to pray more 
actually are overwhelmed and, and distressed by having too much interaction around them. Interesting. Well, then I would, I, then I would say if, the, if that is the case, that if you find an extrovert and somebody who really likes being around people and doing things in an organized way with other people, right. who still davens at his own pace, right? In the Cheder Shani or right. you know, in the corner of the of the shul, right? That would be like a special guy, very special guy, right? Because he's going against his nature. If my theory is true, <clears throat> that right. those those things are that's an interesting idea. <clears throat> but I, I I based it. I mean, I didn't base it on that. I based it on my experience, but I sort of strengthened my theory to myself. I mean, this is not something, yeah, I told you, it's not a pet theory. It's not something I would be confident going and talking to anybody about or being recorded on a video that would be posted publicly anywhere. Um, But there's a a video of dollars where a a father, I think it's a father and a mother, they come to the Rebbe and they have their son with, with them who's autistic, and they tell the Rebbe he has autism, and they try to explain to the Rebbe what autism is, and, and, and like, the Rebbe knows exactly what it is, and uh, the Rebbe says something, I, I should have looked it up, I should have watched it, so uh, Jem put it out recently, I mean, recently, but in the past few years, whatever it was, and the Rebbe mentions, yes, they have difficulties with people, but they're closer to Hashem. I don't know if the Rebbe said closer to Hashem, but the, they have an easier time connecting with Hashem. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, of course, you know, that's, people say all types of things that are, you know, feel good things, you know, to make people feel better. But first of all, obviously, that Rebbe never said anything to make any, anybody feel better. If the Rebbe said it was, you know, complete truth. But um, the way that Rebbe said it, it's actually, I mean, in addition to the fact, I'm sure, obviously, it made the family feel better. But also, Rebbe was explaining mm. it's a different kind of a person. Look, some people have a talent. Evident to elaborate on it, but some people are talented at social interaction. Um, others ha- are less talented in that area, but that that discrepancy, I mean, or that that deficiency, let's say, in one area, might be an indication that there's an area where there's uh, a greater talent, and you know, sort of like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, again, you know, I'm not. I haven't worked this all out, but for instance, like a blind person would have a, a better sense of hearing. I mean, that's, I know that sounds like a stereotype. That's actually, I believe, something that is proven that blind people do have a, a more keen sense of hearing, which shouldn't be surprising, obviously. Um, no. Okay. So it occurred to me, this idea, that the same kind of person who might go to a minion for religious reasons, because... You know, you're a Jew. You have to. You have to daven in a minion, but not necessarily be so happy to sit in the thick of all that stimulus, and rather want to be in a side room. That might be the exact same personality type who is very comfortable davening for a long time meditatively. Just a thought that I okay. had today while I was davening in my yes. own little room, right, without a minion because right. Because only because you're forced to, not because you're I'm more comfortable to. that way. Only because I'm forced to, not because I'm uncomfortable that way. Correct. Okay. So that, that we were talking about the three things called Shani. And then the third thing called Shani is Pesach Shani. Pesach Shani 
is the second Passover. The first Passover is the famous Passover that everyone knows. Everyone knows the first Passover because six weeks before the first Passover, even the Gentile grocery stores have a whole wall full of Manischewitz. Yeah. But, right. The second Passover is exactly... Sometimes they also have uh, Hanukkah stuff out, too. Why not? It all goes together. Yeah. Right. And it's the Jewish section, basically. Yeah. So the, the, the second Passover is a month after the first Passover. Those who missed the Korban Pesach, Korban Pesach means the offering, the sacrificial offering that was brought in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem in the times when the temple stood. Uh, so if they missed the sacrifice for whatever reason, uh, whether because they had ritual impurity or they're too far away to reach, uh, to reach Jerusalem on the day of the sacrifice, so they had a makeup, they had a second chance called Pesach Cheney, the second Passover. Um, so the second Passover is an interesting concept. I think, actually, I originally heard this from you. Tell me if you remember this. There's a lot of things I heard from you, and I've asked you later, and you don't remember telling it to me. But okay, I'm glad I told you then so that they survived. <clears throat> right. So I think you told me that Hillel Potacher, I think you told me it was Hillel Potacher, was once uh, being harassed by someone who was anti-Hasidic. Okay. Okay, and the person said, you see them are very funny. You celebrate a yomtif for Temeim. Do you remember this story? No. I heard it from you. Anyways, you celebrate a yomtif for Temeim. Okay. Okay, so let's explain what that means. A yomtif, a holiday for Temeim. Temeim means impure people. What was he referring to? He was talking about Pesach Sheni, because in the times when you had a holy temple and you actually had sacrifices and if you missed the first passover it means you missed the first you missed the sacrifice so you would pesach sheni the second passover would actually be a time would actually bring a sacrifice you, you would bring a lamb or a goat to the temple and you would eat it and it was an actual thing that you would yeah. do but since the the destruction of the temple so pesach sheni what do you do on pesach sheni there's nothing you can do on that day it's just, it's almost like just like a, an interesting historical factoid. On this day, in temple times, people who missed the first Passover will be able to do, make, bring a make I make matzo pizza. Okay, you make matzo pizza. What I'm telling you is... That's what guy, I do. Okay, I know. That's but I'm how I observe you, Pesach Sheni. What I'm telling you, though, is the guy who was making fun of Helopadacha was telling him, yeah. nobody does anything. It's not a day that you do anything. It's historically ahead of significance, but today there's no actual practical meaning to it. But Yuchsidim decided to make that a yomtif. Mm. And it, it's ironic because that's a yomtif for impure people. Because who would bring a sacrifice on the second Passover? Someone who couldn't bring on the first right. Passover, which generally there are other reasons as well, but one of the main reasons is somebody was impure. Anyways, this guy who was anti Hasidic. Hilipanachi, we should mention, was a chassid who lived in the mid-1800s. He was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, although he never met the Alter Rebbe, and then of the Mitle Rebbe, and then of the Tzemach Tzedek. And he himself was a great mentor and teacher, a leader in his own right. He was a rav in, a, in the town of Bibrusk, I believe. He was originally from Padich, hence the name Hilipanachi. The story might not even happen to him. I mean, I believe you heard somebody say it to Fabrengen and came over and told it to okay. him. 
So the guy okay. telling it could have told it wrong. You could have told it wrong. I could have remembered it wrong. So I'm hearing it like however many persons, like fifth person from the guy who told it at the Fabrangan, and one of those people is me. That's right. It's like you're a guy who in the middle of, you know, what they call, you know what Chinese whispers is? Um, it's no, it's, it's what <laughs> some people call a broken telephone game. Okay. So are we going to just start listing off all of the, the racist uh, <laughs> ways in which the word Chinese is used? Like to... a pomegranate is sometimes called a Chinese apple. Yeah, yeah, was. I, I haven't heard somebody say that in the in the past hundred years right. or so. Well, about I believe a hundred years ago, anything exotic was called Chinese. Yes. Right. So you could have anything. You're like Chinese ice cream. Whoa. Is that? Are you just making that up? Or I you, made that up. Yeah, yeah. I made that up. Right. Right. Or Chinese virus. Not racist at all. It's from China. <laughs> okay, I, we, we should share that video. By the way, some Ichigadoozy fan made an amazing video. I, it wasn't me, by the way, and it wasn't you, right? No, it was not me. They took a <laughs> clip of Trump at a press conference saying it's not racist at all. It's it's from China, and then they cut it to the Ichigadoozy quest for fish. Yes, where the villain, not the villain, the villain's henchman, yeah, says he's putting a filter fish on a plane to China, but it's not really China. And he laughs. He says, ha, 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 China. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> China. And then, and then John laughs along with him, but he doesn't get it. Okay. Maybe we'll actually cut that in okay. before we post this video. It's not racist at all. No, not at all. It comes from China. <laughs> China. <laughs> China. I don't get it. So, so where, where were we? You were telling me about, about broken telephone. So, yeah, you, a guy who in the middle of a broken telephone game, got up, went to the kitchen, some crackers, and came back and sat back down at another seat where you weren't seating, seated, seated originally <laughs> and got a second turn <laughs> yes. in the telephone game. Anyways, um, so... Hillapotachip, maybe, could have been, or some other Jewish person, um, was once chided for having been involved in celebrating Pesach Shein. And the guy said to him, you know, your chassidim are interesting. You celebrate a Yom for Temeim, celebrate a holiday that was made for the impure. Mm -hmm. We should give a bit more background, but Parshas Ba'aleischa, um, which is in the book of Bamidbar, in the book of Numbers, there's, a, there's an event that transpires, will come to Moshe Rabbeinu, they come to Moses, and they say famously, why should we be here? Why should we be left out? Now there's different explanations in the oral tradition why they were impure. We'll leave that for another time. Um, the point is they were impure, <clears throat> they could not participate in the first Passover, Meish Rabbeinu goes to Hashem and he asks him, hey, what about helping these guys out? And Hashem makes a new mitzvah for these guys or because of their um, and they were able to, to bring the the, corporate, the, the, the the offering because apparently they were impure on the first 
Yom Tov. By the time the second Yom Tov came, they were able to go through the the purification ritual of the red heifer, the puma, and so then they were able to bring the sacrifice. Anyways, so this guy says, ah, you guys, you chassidim, you celebrate a Yom Tov for Tameyim, for impure people. So the Mahil responds, not a Yom Tov for Tameyim. Not a holiday for impure people. A holiday for impure people who became pure. And there is no greater holiday than that. Oh, wow, that's really cool. It's beautiful. It's the idea of teshuva, of returning, being restored to our innate goodness. So those who had been impure became pure. Greater celebration is there than that. You know what? That's that's really, really cool. I like that. I totally did not remember that story at all. I did not remember hearing it or telling it. And I'm glad you told it to me because I know it now and it's cool. Yeah, you know what I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, uh, I've been thinking about a lot recently. Is I recently got into a fender bender, and um, so I had to look at the insurance card of my my. Uh, you know. Admit nothing, you know. Yes, that's what I want to Don't talk even about. Sorry. The first thing I was told when I started driving, first thing that all of the concerned grown-ups in my life wanted to tell me is, you ever get in an accident? Do not even say, I'm sorry. You don't say, I'm sorry. Our instinct is, I'm sorry, even if it's not our fault. Do not that's admit, an admission of fault. Do not Im- admit guilt. And, and on the back of the insurance card, it has a list of a bunch of different the procedure. Where do you think it, it comes from? Wasn't just bold. neurotic parents making that up. It yeah. says, do not admit fault. That's right. And I have been thinking about it because I think it's a like I've ha- I've I've had you other you basically think it's like stealing the afikayman at the seder. Yes, <laughs> yes, I think. Am it, I getting it? Yes, that it's is teaching midas royce. Right, and and it happens all the time. Anytime I'm in any type of like business dealing with somebody, I'm, whatever I'm, I'm some sort of business relationship. Somebody hired me to make something for them things aren't going perfectly and I'm writing an email and just, just to move things along, whatever, just, just really sorry. With, I have, I, with the issue. I always, I write, I'm right. like, I'm very right. sorry. And then I delete it. And I say, no, 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 you can't admit guilt. Say it you like, you know, fault. don't no, admit fault. be upset that, that the, that the situation is bad, but don't right. apologize. And I hate it. It's wrong. Like how can you, as a society, if that is, I mean, it's not just for, for when you get in a car accident. Right. I think uh, it, it as a society, that is a value we have. That People is will that's hold it against you. It's a weakness. You'll be, you'll, you will be made to pay dearly for your admission of. Yeah, like how could you do that? And and, right. and and we see all the time important people getting accused of something, and of course they, they deny it. And it is why they because they know if you admit fault, because you admit it, you'll get in trouble. You do you'll get in trouble? Right. Terrible. If you admit any type of fault, if you it all say. I made mistakes in the past. I do not right. remember oh, this I, one, but terrible. I am sorry that I did that, that I hurt somebody. Right. Right. Not allowed to say that. You cannot Same. say, I'm sorry I hurt somebody because uh, you hurt somebody and you're going to, and legally also, that it makes a difference and you, you'll, you can actually get punished. So, no, right. don't it. But, like, how that, that seems bad to me. If we have our, even our like justice system is set up that if I publicly, acknowledge the possibility that I could be flawed, then right. in our justice system, that could end up being held against me. And like, it, it makes us all not willing to admit that, that 
we could have messed up. Uh, because because more and more, it's like more and more frequently we are seeing people who have a very big role in the world and a large mouthpiece and an opportunity to be leaders and our leaders getting accused of things. And I would love like, um, and we're, we're just reinforcing to each other all back and forth over and over right. again, this don't no admission of guilt. Isn't that a, a, a Rashi in Chumash? It says, Nasi Asher Chata, I believe is the, the word it is, a, a leader of the people who sins. Hmm. And Rashi's quest, what's the wording? Asher, Asher means that. But uh, syntactically, it's not the most logical wording that should be used in the verse. So Rashi says, Asher is, is related to the word Ashre. Ashre means fortunate. So Rashi, fortunate is, is, is the people whose leader admits fault. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. Fidika Rebbe said that there are three things called second. The second soul, which is the godly soul. Chapter 2 of Tanya. And throughout, but that's where it's introduced. The second room, which is the room of davening at length, undisturbed by the minion. And the second tzach, which is the transformation, the celebration of self-transformation. So he says that's you put them all together. It's what? Take your second soul, go to the second room, and don't come out until you have a second Passover. Oh, wow. Oh, Davin, with your soul, speak and experience a self-transformation. Oh, wow. Cool. Very cool. Anyways, that was the idea that I wanted to share with you. I wasn't sure how long that would take to share that, so I don't know who these things are supposed to be. But What things? Things, the, these videos that we're putting out now. Zoom conversations between two brothers about Has Hasidic thought. By the way, I came up with a... That genre, that, that well-known genre? I, yeah, yes. With a, a working title for the series. How many of you like it? Blood Brothers. Blood Brothers? Blood Brothers. Okay. Why? I mean, we're just regular brothers. Isn't that what Blood Brothers are? I mean, I guess we're related by blood. So then, what's Blood Brother? Isn't that when two people like prick their hands and then smush them together? I wouldn't know about such a thing. Where's that from? I don't know. It just exists in my mind. I never saw anybody do it. Never saw anyone do it? I don't think You're so. Right, actually, it is a thing. You could research it later. I also don't know how I know this. Um, I've also never seen anyone do it. Oh, I've I never, never heard anybody in real life tell me they did it. If I saw two people do that, I, I would be very concerned that they were about to do something very bad. <laughs> that they were making a pact. Yes. I don't like. My, like I would be pretty level, positive. Like right, how? What activity would require <laughs> that level of commitment right. and that display of? Like, you want to go hang gliding? Yeah, I want to go hang gliding. Okay, let's make let's become blood brothers on it. Okay, no, they're not. That's not what they're doing it for. They're not hang gliding. No, no. 
something far more nefarious than that. It may involve hang gliding. But <laughs> at the end, that's the getaway. Nobody knows how they got away. How like, did they uh, escape? The Grand Canyon was right there. They ran off. The police were sure they had them. And they disappeared. Was that like D.B. Cooper? <laughs> yeah, like D.B. Cooper. Is that, is that what it is? Cooper, is that right? Yeah, D.B. Cooper. Uh, what, he robbed a, a airplane. He hijacked a plane. An air, airplane got in ransom money. They landed. They brought him a suitcase full of ransom money. Right. Then they took off again. And they were going to get him on the other side. They were going to get him on the other side and humped. And they didn't see he had a parachute or anything. And they never found him. Okay. So uh, this has been really a pleasure. It has really been. Enjoyed Thank this. you so much for, for telling me that, that short Nakoda that took a while for us to parse through. Unpack. We unpacked. I, we unpacked it before I even heard it. Before I even heard the punchline. You say, "Console, go in the second room. Don't come out until the second Passover." What? Yeah, I know. I heard the punchline at punchline. the end. But yeah, that was the punchline. By the way, before we wrap up, I just want to add one thing. This precisely is an illustration of why. And this is my own vort, my own piscum. I made this. I coined a phrase that there are no vertolach in Chabad. Have I told for? Yes. Vort of mine? If you notice, I was, I was careful to, to say Nakoda just now, because I right. know that's, that is a have, pet theory of yours. That is a pet theory of mine. What's a vort? A vort is something that you can hear it, digest it, enjoy it immediately. That's why crowds love vert, because it's something, it's short, it's pithy, it's easy to it's usually you know it's like uh, feel good and it just boom you got it and there's really no work involved after that in Chabad you give a Nakoda Nakoda is like Chochma operates in fact Chochma often is called a Nakoda and then you unpack it like the relationship between Teresh Bechsav and Teresh Balpeh in the oral Torah. You take one word, like Rabbi Akiva would take calligraphy on top of the letters, and then to Tile Tilim Shalhalacha into mounds and mounds of practical ramifications. So that's a relation between Chochma and Bina, the Nakuda, the point, then the elaboration um, of the point which is often like into gestation, you know, the unpatterned genetic code and turning it into a whole uh, child. Uh, so we have Nakudas. Best example of that, by the way, is Hayyem The Sefer Hayyem Yeng compiled. The, the subtitle is Luach Er Zerua Chabad. Er Zerua is a Lashon Apostik, is a turn of phrase from, from Tehillim. Er Zerua L'Tzadik, entered light, seeds of light. For the righteous, but what's a seed of light? Seed of light means that a seed is a tiny, compact little thing. But if you tend to it and nurture it, <clears throat> it expands not only exponentially, infinitely, potentially infinitely. Is a saying. I thought you were going to say the a, a seed of light is a laser pointer. No, it's not because a laser pointer is just a laser pointer. Mm -hmm. if you, point them at airplanes 
Then it will blind the pilots. Maybe that's you a DB Cooper did it. Get in a lot of trouble. Um, so, why do I think I know that the green ones are worse than the red ones? I don't know. Maybe you could look that up again later. I believe I have that piece of information. Anyways, maybe they go farther. Maybe they're more distracting. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, so so the, the Friedrich Rebbe called the Rebbe's allergy of sayings uh, a, a calendar of implanted light for Chabad Chassidim. What's my understanding? Again, it's just my my idea. But Chassidim Chabad means who take things and they really run it through the Chochmah Bin Adas. You, know, you don't just take a vort. You expand it. You, you build on it. You elaborate. So if you take a Hayemim, a Hayemim, each one paragraph or two. Sometimes they're one line or two lines. It's tiny, but it's not, that's all there is. It's, it's a seed. So you can take one Hayemim, you could fabreng 10 hours on one Hayemim. But you think that the tagline for your Hayemim is in the Kuda about the Kudas. Exactly, yeah. That's right. That itself very, is in the Very meta. Very meta, because that, that concept itself, it's not a subtitle. It's a whole. It's a whole thesis in the form of a subtitle, a slugline, or a tagline. So yeah, you could you could say it would be a nice twenty-second WhatsApp video. You could post it as a status on your WhatsApp, seconds or less. You know, Instagram, sixty seconds or less. Now they have IGTV, so it could be longer. But everybody likes short. You say, you know, the Chassidim used to say, take your second soul, go in the second room, don't come to second Passover. Bam, everyone loves it. Forward that. Boom, boom, boom. That's what I do you know on my what? TikTok account. TikTok, I've got you know two the, followers. TikTok's owned by the Chinese government. Is that a fact or is that something that, that you heard in I pray, Shane one time? I pray that I'm not peeing conspiracy theory stuff that I heard, but I believe it's a known fact. I believe it's a known fact. And we again, we could look that up. We'll intercut that into post-production. Anyways. So, what was your point? Oh, you were saying that, yes, you could say these things. You could have said, Cheder Shani, Pesach Shani, and... Say it as a four. Say it as a 30-second bam. done. And uh, we would all be very inspired. Right. But... But the better way to do it is to... Unpack it. Say weird stuff for an hour. To say the stuff that needs to be said, even if some of it's weird or seems or, weird. Or, yeah, like the D.B. Cooper story was a very important part of unpacking this particular Nakoda. Well, D.B. Cooper uh, came up because of hang gliding. Which came up because we're talking about Blood Brothers. Blood Brothers. Which that actually was just inane. I, that was a joke, by the way, in case I know my sense of humor. I picked a lame title. Okay. And I pitched. I, you know what? I didn't want to. I want to judge. We're recording now. You know, maybe later. I, picked, I can what brothers? Really? I picked the most inane and lame <laughs> title I could think of. I did not understand it. That was the joke. That was the joke. By the way, you told me your favorite joke at the beginning of this. You want to know my favorite joke? It's a it's a iteration on an old one everybody knows, but my my kids and I have kind of uh, worked a little bit. Knock knock. By the way, Fuhu Rachum is not my favorite joke. 
You told me it was your favorite joke. I said, said my favorite joke to make when I'm davening. From davening That itself was only a part of the private setup. Because we established that I daven in the Chedeshain. So the whole thing was a contrivance to be able to tell the knockdown. Oh, uh, okay. So it's not your favorite joke. I no. thought that you were you were telling me you start most of your speeches with it. No, I've probably never told it before. Anyways. My favorite joke. Knock knock. Who's there? Interrupting fish. Interrupting fish. <laughs> <laughs> you like it? Well, that's, in order to get that joke, a person has to have a fairly uh, solid background in knock-knock jokes. Yeah. Because the, the actual, that's a parody of a well-known knock-knock joke. Knock-knock, who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting cow who? And then before yeah. they can finish saying interrupting cow who, you, you cut them off and you say, because he's an interrupting cow and he interrupts people. Um, that's very good. Thank you. Yeah. You can thank my kids for it. And they, they, helped, they came up with it. Helped you develop that. Yeah. I've, I don't know who, who actually came up with it, but together we ended up with it. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. Mm -hmm. People don't realize to be funny for five seconds can take hours of writing. That's right. It, it really, I have to credit that joke to the room. It was room written. All right. Are we done? Yeah. Okay, awesome. This is fun. I'm going to stop recording Fantastic. now. Okay, stop recording.